And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll say something. I remember my mom taking me to a doctor because I started acting out. And it was just, there was this guy, this white man, I remember. And he was not, I thought I was going to speak to therapists, but I was going to doctor. Um, and he was just sitting there and he's like, so what's going on? And I thought he was asking me to tell, and, but he was just asking what's going on with your body. Mm. And so I just blurted it all out. And he, I, when I tell you, he went pale. <laughs> A poor white man. <laughs> um, he went pale because he was not expecting me to tell him I was being molested by this family member. I was born to a teenage mom. She was 16 when she had me, um, and my dad was also very young. It was never actually supposed to happen, um, and I'm the only one between them. So she was really young when she had me, and I ended up going with my grandma. From what I remember from the beginning, it was it was good. The first few years of my life, it, w they, it was just good. I, I remember going to church on Sunday with my grandma. We'd go every Sunday. And um, I just remember being so intrigued and, and just loving church. I loved the preaching. I loved the music, the singing. I, what they would catch what we call the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and I was always so just intrigued by that. And she was just so, so gracious and beautiful to me at that time. I remember being a part of um, the pageant in the church. I won the pageant. I was like the queen, and she was so proud. And things were just good during that first part. We, it was a simple country life. It was just me, her, and my um, uncle, who was, who was disabled. And it was just simple and quiet. And she would cook every day. I'm telling you, made the best meals. Things were just good. And then I turned six, and my mom, she decided that she um, wanted to get married. She got pregnant with my sisters and got married to their dad. And we moved down the street from my grandma. But that's when things began to kind of shift. I was exposed to a lot just because I, I think she was, again, so young. A, a lot of things I shouldn't have been, been watching, porn, pornography, things I shouldn't be seeing at six years old. Um, a lot of fighting. I remember one time him hitting her with a, a hatchet on her face. And it, it was just really bad. And it was in the middle of the night and I was terrified. So I ran all the way down the street to my aunt's house, probably about two in the morning, crying. And I could just remember just this, just being so scared and not knowing what to do um, and knocking on my aunt's door for like 20 minutes because they were asleep. And um, then seeing her come down with her, you know, blood streaming down her face. And I mean, so things just shifted drastically um, once I moved there. And then the abuse, the sexual abuse started. I remember the first time, I, I'll never forget it. Her and her then husband were having a fight and she didn't want us to be in a room. So my sisters, my sister, it was my, um, she had to be one at the time. She put us in the room with my uncle, he was sleeping over and she put us in the room with him to go to sleep. And I remember laying in the bed with my sister and him and feeling what I thought was the bottom of her foot because it was so smooth. And I was just rubbing her foot, what I thought was her foot, not knowing that he had his penis exposed and I was actually rubbing that. So all of a sudden he just pulls me on top of him and I'm just like, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? You know, I just remember being like, whoa, what, what's happening? And not knowing what was going on at the time. 
but not understanding it, but and being exposed and seeing, I, I, I looked at porn and I'm like, well, maybe this is supposed to happen, just not understanding it. And then that, it ended. And that was the first time it happened. And you said you were six six years old at this time? I or? was seven. I was probably seven because my sister sisters were born in 86, and so she was about a year. So I had to be about seven when it started. Did you did you uh, tell anybody no. when this happened? Weirdly enough, I, I, the weirdest thing, I felt because I hadn't had my dad and because I wasn't really getting a lot of attention during that time. I was like, well, maybe this is something special. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Like, maybe this is supposed to happen, and maybe this is what they do when they love you. And so I didn't want to tell at the time. But from there, I ended up, um, we moved to New York. So, you know, my uncle wasn't there. And things were okay there. Um, I lived in New York for about a year. And then um, went down to my grandmother's for the summer, and I just did not want to go back to New York because it was different for me. It was a city, and I was used to country life. And so I said, I want to live with my grandmom. And I begged my mom, leave me with my grandmom. And so she said, okay. And, and she left me there. And I didn't even realize, you know, that something must have happened between them. But this wasn't my grandmother from the first part of my life. Hmm. And that's when I experienced verbal abuse, physical abuse, and then my uncle would come back and forth. And so the sexual abuse started again. And this is the same the same uncle? Same uncle. My grandmother was angry. I don't know why. And so she would just yell at me, you know, and call me names and and say, you're nothing. You're not going to be nothing. I remember not getting a lot of school clothes that year. I remember getting a pair of socks for Christmas, going to school with holes in my stocking. I remember going to the teacher and saying, hey, can I, can I staple them together? Because I was starting to get, you know, I was getting bullied and people were teasing me during that time. And, um, and then I would go home and, and, and just constant, you're nothing, you know, you're lazy, you're this, this person is doing this and you're, you can't and look at that person and just, just constant verbal abuse. And then my uncle came back and he started touching me again. During, I think by this time I realized this isn't right. This shouldn't be happening. But I was at that point afraid to say anything because who am I gonna tell? My mom wasn't there. Um, she you know, was in New York and I didn't really know what to say or who to say it to. And then he um, actually penetrated me during this time, I was 10 for the first time. And I, I was talking to my husband about this yesterday and I was like, you know, I lost my virginity at 12. And he's like, well, honey, no, you actually lost it when he penetrated you at 10. And I, you know, it kind of shook me a bit. I'm, I, you know, thinking, well, yeah, you, you really did lose it, your virginity at 10. Thankfully, my mom came home. She came back that next year and I was like, I, I can't stay here anymore. And I remember crying, like, I gotta go with you. <laughs> and you can't leave me. And she was so passionate. She was like, okay. And she ended up moving back to South Carolina. And so um, she wasn't with her husband or then husband anymore. And so we moved and, um, and I was actually okay for fifth grade year. I remember fifth grade being okay. But I started having a warped view of just guys. And I thought in order for them 
to, to like me or to be popular, I had to let them touch me. And so I would let boys touch me in school. And even every now and again, when I would go back to my grandmother's house, my uncle would still touch me. Um, but I began to get promiscuous in school. And during that time, I also started recognizing that I can sing a little bit. And so in church, I um, sang a solo and the church went crazy that Sunday. <laughs> um, and for that, for my family, they were actually, they were like, oh, this is awesome because, you know, it gives them a bit of, I would say, status in the church, you know, because mm -hmm. my, my daughter can sing, my granddaughter, my niece can sing. And so they were actually, during that time, I was I was, I was like, okay, this is good. You know, people like me and I have something that they like. And so I would use my gift to get attention, I would say, but still understood and, and felt the power of God when I was using it. You understand what I'm saying? So around 12, 13 or 12, actually, I started dating a boy. I had sex with him. And then I realized, wait, because my uncle was still trying to touch me. I said, I cannot do this anymore. And I, I, t I can't even remember who it was I talked to in school, but they say, you have to tell, you have to say something. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll say something. I remember my mom taking me to a doctor because I started acting out. And it was just, there was this guy, this white man, I remember. And he was not, I thought I was going to speak to a therapist, but I was going to a doctor. Um, and he was just sitting there and he's like, so what's going on? And I thought he was asking me to tell, and, but he was just asking what's going on with your body. Mm. And so I just blurted it all out. And he, when I tell you, he went pale. <laughs> that poor white man. <laughs> um, he went pale because he was not expecting me to tell him I was being molested by this family member. So he went and got my mom, brought her back in the room. And I, he's like, you have to tell her I'm here with you. And I remember telling her. And I remember her just breaking down. I've never seen her cry like that. And she just kept saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Um, and I didn't know what to do at that point. And of course, because I told a doctor, he's a mandated reporter, he had to you know, let them know. And my uncle ended up getting arrested and ended up going to jail for seven years, prison for seven years for, for the molestation. Um, I don't know what I was expecting, but I don't think I was expecting my family to react the way they did. They were angry more with me. They said I wanted it. It was my fault. I should have said something because I didn't say something. I wanted it. And so it was just more. And I think for them, you, we had reached a status because now you're singing and, and now you go out and tell people mm. and you, you tell somebody and now our families looked at like this. And so it, it was hard. Okay. It's okay. Take okay. your time. I just remember it being hard. Um, I just remember not like, well, maybe it is my fault. Maybe I should have said something. Just blaming myself for it. I, I don't know. I just didn't understand it. But we moved to North Carolina and um, so it was kind of a change of scenery. Again, my voice, because I could sing, everybody kind of, you know, flocked to me. And um, things were going okay, but I was still very promiscuous. I, um, you know, just not understanding that this is not the way to do it. And so I, I just wanted to have sex with, with different guys. And um, my freshman year in high school, I remember meeting a guy and us going to a hotel and having sex and 
And then a month later, I found that I was pregnant. And for me, I was like actually excited, weirdly enough, <laughs> about being pregnant because I get to have something that's mine that I can love. But I told my mom, we told my mom she was, of course, furious. And we told there was a family friend at the time. And she's like, you can't have this baby. You guys have status in the community. You know, do you not know, you know, the things that are going on? You know, you, your name in the community, you can't have this child. And so my mom pretty much was like, you're going to have an abortion. I didn't want one. But um, at the time, I was 15. And again, you know. This is a decision that was made. Um, so I remember her taking me to the clinic, going to the abortion clinic, being in the room with a bunch of women. women older, I remember the conversation they were having. They were talking about how awesome it was for them to, you know, they were talking about their births and how it was how beautiful it was when they saw their child for the first time. And I'm sitting there like, we're all about to have an abortion. And these women are sitting talking about, you know, the birth of their other children and how beautiful and great of an experience it was. And we're about to go. It just baffled me. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember that, that part about it. And I remember leaving the clinic and crying my eyes out. But my mom was saying, just come on, just come on here. And cause you know, for her, it, it, you know, you need to get it together. You did this to yourself. Let's go. But that was my first time getting pregnant. We moved back to Charleston and, um, Again, church, again, was very—we went to church. I was in church all of this time. I loved church. I didn't—I wasn't familiar with God, but I loved the—just church. I loved being there. Um, and so we went to church all the time, but I was still kind of on the outside doing my thing. So when we got back to South Carolina, I met another guy, and this time I said, I'm going to get pregnant, wanted to get pregnant. And he, we were young and stupid. And there, I don't know if you, the 90s during this time, it was like a pandemic. Every teen, it was like so many teens getting pregnant, black teenagers getting pregnant during this time. I mean, I've seen, I mean, every other one in high school pregnant. Oh. And so it, was, it wasn't something that was looked down on like it is right now. Um, but it was something that people were like, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing, you know? So everybody was doing it. And so I was like, I, I want to have a baby. Mm. And so I was... Um, 17 and a half at the time, and I ended up getting pregnant with my first daughter again. And um, this time I said, I'm going to have the baby. I ran away so that she wouldn't force me and then um, turned 18. So at that point, she couldn't. And I had my first daughter and um, I, I was like, okay, I have to, I have to get it together. Like, you know, for her, you know, I just didn't want to, I don't know, I tried to get it together. But my mom said, hey, go to college, you know enjoy your life. I'll take care of her. So I ended up leaving my daughter with her and going to college. For like a week in college, I tried to do good. It was a Christian college. And so I was like, I'm going to do good, you know, um, but went crazy again. The second semester of my freshman year, got pregnant again. This time I said, okay, I can't have this baby. So I made the decision. I said, I, I, I have a daughter. I can't have another baby. It's going to be frowned upon and, and I can't have this baby. And so I remember I borrowed some money from my dad and told him it was for books or something. I can't remember in college. And so he gave me the money and I went and had another abortion. And um, after this one, I was like, okay, I have to do better. <laughs> but now, not understanding how, yeah. Now, before, before you move on, can you give us a little bit of insight when it came to the abortion? 
mm-hmm. in that process, what you were feeling or experiencing as this happened? Did you did were you able to process it or or you didn't really have that I think time? That's the, the second one, I I kind of blocked it. I mm-hmm. I I didn't want to because now it was me right. doing this. So I I kind of pushed it down and um tried not to think about it. I don't remember much about it. I re- do remember that they botched it the first time, so I had to go to the do the procedure two times. What is that? What does that mean? They um the first time they didn't take out everything that needed to be taken out taken out the first time. And I was in college at the time. I would I mean with my room, you know, my roommates, I remember clotting passing blood clots the size of golf balls because oh. they hadn't done the procedure correctly the first time not understanding or knowing what was going on. And so a week later, and I remember being in college <laughs> and I um, was a music major and um, I was talking to one of my professors and I said, yeah, I have to go and, and get a procedure done. you know. And she didn't know what was going on. And she's like, yeah, that happened with me when I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage. And I was like, oh God, she's gonna know. Being so scared and just kind of shutting the conversation down. Um, but I had to go and get the procedure done again. So I got it done twice to get everything removed. Mm. I think for that, I just felt I just felt like crap. And I said, maybe everything they, they're saying is true. Maybe I am nothing. Maybe I am. I'm just a failure. I'm just a mess up. But like I said, God was always there. Even in that, even in that there saying, it's okay. It's okay. And so because of that, and because of me just knowing that it was going to be okay, I moved forward and tried to, you know, let him be in control. But at the same time, I had gone through so much, I was still doing my own thing um, or making decisions that I shouldn't have made. A guy that I had went to high school with, who I really, I mean, we were okay. He was cool, but I knew he liked me. And I said, he, he, I mean, he was really like, he just loved me. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to date him and I'm going to marry him because he's not going to hurt me. So I kind of switched from the wild child to, okay, now let me just get married. Let me, you know, I have a child. Let me just try to do this. Really just trying to do it on my own. And so I um, ended up dating him and we ended up getting married. (laughs) I was 21. 21 at the time. And I'm not knocking young young marriages. I'm but don't do it for the wrong reasons. And I did it for the wrong reasons. Um and we got married and I talked him into getting in the military. And we got married a few weeks after 9-11, like two weeks after 9-11. He went to basic training two days after we got married. And then um, and you know, I don't well, y'all don't know if y'all were around, but they you know, a year after 9-11, the Iraq war happened. And so that's when deployment was heavy in the military. So he he wasn't even really around a lot. He was just gone so much. And um, I got pregnant with my daughter, my second child, and ended up having her. And he left for 15 months after, six weeks after she was born. And so, I mean, I was trying to kind of be a wife, but really didn't know how to be a wife. When he was there, I thought being a wife was fighting and fussing, you know, and then making up, 
having makeup sex. That to me was a wife, you know, arguing, making sure they understand. So it was all about taking, taking, taking. And so I treated him pretty horribly in the beginning, I would say, because I just didn't know. In 2006, we ended up moving to Germany. Um, military moved us to Germany. And I would say that this is when like tr the metamorphosis started happening. God like pulled me out of what I would say was Egypt. I mean, he had to just pull me out of that environment and put me all the way across the world. And I had no clue. I, I just thought we were going for a few years to, and we were going to travel a little bit and had no clue that it would be a complete transformation through the power of God. He put me there. Unfortunately, I got pregnant with my son, but then my marriage started to fall apart. My my then husband, he just was like, you know, he at that point, he, he didn't want to be married anymore. But I met um, some people, some church family over there, um, and they completely just, the love of God was on full display through their lives. They didn't care that I could sing. When I was in, in the States, I sang in so many different churches, and, and they really just cared about the gift. But when I got over there, they were like, yeah, it's nice, but yeah, do you really know Christ? <laughs> And I was just baffled. But at the same time, the love that they showed um, was just, oh, my God. It, it, it was like the Book of Acts church, pretty much. Wow. I went through with my husband. Um, my husband and I ended up getting a divorce. But I ended up, I, I knew it was, it's not time to go back to the States. And so I ended up staying in Germany, actually. And they helped me get to get a job. They helped me to get an apartment. It was a, a two-bedroom apartment, mind you, but it was a start. I, I didn't have, I didn't, we didn't want for anything. They made sure I had birthday presents. They made sure my kids had get Christmas presents. I mean, we really didn't want for anything. And if we did, it was because I was just being prideful. My, um, I call her, my, my spiritual mom, she says, she used to say to me, you're standing in front of a refrigerator full of food and just won't open the door, sweetie. <laughs> and so, but it, it was just, the love of God was on full display through them. But I was also dealing with years and years of trauma, years and years of just mess. And so they got a lot of war wounds from me. Uh, my pastor, she would say, yeah, this whole patch of gray hair right here is because <laughs> just, I mean, they, they dealt with a lot because I had to really, really like let go and transform my mind through the power of Christ. I had to really start thinking on things that are pure, that are lovely, that are, I, I, I it was a total shift. Mm. Um, that was where I really knew how to live a life for Christ, where I learned how, what it was to be saved for real, for real, mm. what it was to, to be a Christian, how it wasn't all about the hoopla and the, the, the emotion behind it, although that's great, but it was really a life outside of church. And so God complete, not only transformed my life spiritually, but job-wise, I started out making like $25,000, $26,000 with three kids in a foreign country where I got no, really no assistance. But because of the people I was surrounded by, um, I, I call her my, my, my work mentor, my work mom. 
I remember going on an interview and saying, there's no way I'm going to get this job. And, and she was there. And she's like, nope, this is where you're going to sit. This is what you're going to be doing. I mean, just, and she's like, if you're not going to believe it, honey, I'm going to believe it for you. <laughs> These are the type of people I was around. I got the job. And in five years, I moved past people that had been there for 19 years. So it, it was it was complicated and challenging, but God was there, and He just began to show me and transform me, and 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 just show me who I really was. Um, my children, they didn't have to deal with what I went through. I mean, they dealt. They saw the love of Christ on full display. My son went to a Christian private school while he was over there. My daughters were surrounded. We were in ministry all the time, and and so it was just. It was like a boot camp, but it was needed. And I think I was over there for 10 years. God, he's, I guess for him, he's like, okay, it's going to take about this long <laughs> to get this girl together. Um, but I, I mean, while I was over there, I was celibate for seven years out of wow. the time. I mean, so God, he shifted things. He really shifted things. I had some slip ups, but for the most part, he really transformed who I was. And so I left Germany coming back to the... I was actually nervous. I mean, I fought it a few times. I actually wanted to come back to the States in the beginning, but the Lord shut the door. I mean, every time I would try to come back, he would shut the door and I wasn't able to get back over here. Um, and my pastors, they were like, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. And I didn't get it at the time, but now I really understand what had to happen. He had to really transform my life. And he wanted me to be in a position that when I got back to the States, I, they want to see a completely different person. Yeah. So when I got back over here, I was able to take care of my kids by myself. I didn't need any help. He didn't send me back to Charleston. He, For some reason, he would not send me back to South Carolina. But we moved here to Virginia. And I was able to um, buy my first home. I was able to buy another car and, and give my daughter a car. I mean, it was just a total shift. We we weren't the statistics. I wasn't the single mom having to rely on assistance, but I could take care of myself. Didn't need any help. I didn't. I was no longer looking for the knight in shining armor through a man because I understood that Jesus, he actually was my knight in shining armor, and he's the one that saved me. And so now, when I entered into covenant with someone. I just know that we're doing this thing for the kingdom. So it was a total shift and a total transformation when I got back over here. And I remember in 20, um, meeting my husband, not now husband, in 2017, 2018, and, and us getting married. I mean, I started the decade to 2010, went through a divorce, and 2019, getting married. So it's like he shifted things um, to a point where I came out of the decade married. And so it, it it's just, I'm just amazed by just what he's done in that time. I'm amazed by just the transformation. I'm a different person. Um, the sexual trauma affected me for so long, and it really warped my view. But being able to be around people that really told me who I was and I would try to complain and try to, and I would complain and just, you know, I would go through that whiny stage and they'd be like, get it together. That's not who you are. This is who you are. This is who, I remember my pastor saying, you are not a victim. You are a victor. She would just, you know, just make sure. She's like, I don't want you to go back over here struggling. You're, this is what God wants for you. And she, so she, they just began to tell me 
who I was versus who the enemy kept lying to me and telling me who I was. And yeah. so the real me really began to emerge. And I came back over here a different person. Again, I'm not perfect. Made mistakes even since I've been back. But I've realized through the last, I would say the last two, three years, just how good God has been to me and to my family. Um, just how much I, I look at my children um, all three of them love the Lord. This shouldn't have happened. I should not be where I am right now. God has showed, he showed me. I remember trying to fight against him and I wanted to come back and he would give me a dream and show me this is what's going to happen. So I would see what would happen. So I've seen what I could have been if I made the decision to be disobedient. And so I'm... If, if you don't mind me asking, uh -huh. could you share just very briefly what he has shown you? I remember wanting to come back from Germany one time. I, I, I had just had my son. My mom was over and she she said, I have this house for you. You have this car. You have this thing lined up, this thing lined up. And I was like, okay, it's time to go back. And um, God gave me a dream. And in the dream, I walked in the house. No, I was in the house and I was sad. I just remember being super sad. I remember looking at my kids and they were just miserable. And I remember that, I, and I, in the dream, I knew that I was living with my mom and I knew that I didn't have anything. And then I saw an ex walk in the door. And this is an ex who I said I would never in my life <laughs> date again. And I remember looking at him and saying, well, maybe, maybe I should date him. And when I saw that, and saw how low I was in that dream. I said, oh, no, no, mm. I'll stay over here. I said, I'll just <laughs> take my chance over here. And then it was another time that I tried to get back to the States. And I just said, I'm just going to go back for a few weeks. But I think God knew if she goes back, she's not coming. I don't know if you are familiar with the military, but I was trying to catch a hop. It's just a military flight where you get on. It's free. And I said, I'll just catch a hop. But it's kind of kind of first come, first served. I, we tried for a week, a week to get over here, and they we could not get out of Germany. A week. And finally, I called my pastor. I'm just like, I just can't get out. They want, she's like, girl, you just need to go home and chill out. <laughs> she, so she was like, you may not need to go home. Just go home. She's like, you'll be all right. Can you even afford this? And the flight was going to take me to Ohio, and I would have had to drive from Ohio to South Carolina. And so it was just kind of like, it didn't make any sense, but I was like, I'm going to make it work. I'm getting to the States. Yeah. But I could not get out. I The next day... Or I remember talking to someone that was trying to get out also, and I called her. Or no, we talked when she got back. She said, girl, the next day we got a flight out right into Charleston. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> so the night, the day before, I gave up. And I said, okay, I won't go. And I went home, and I said, like, we're just going to stay over here. The next day they got a flight out to Charleston. Wow. I remember even going as far as we were on the plane about to leave, but they, the plane had some sort of malfunction, and so we had to deplane. So that right there showed me. I think at that point I was like, okay, he does not want me to leave. Yeah. So um, I need to stay over here. And so he he kept me there for 10 years, um, gave me a family, a, I mean, lifetime family. I mean, they really showed me what it was. They showed me the love of Christ. Um, they gave so much to us, furniture, 
clothes, money to make sure and never, never bad mouth, bad mouth us to anybody, never looked down on me, really was invested in who I needed to be in Christ. So when you came over, you you met your husband. I met my husband, yeah. Yes. Tell us about that, how that came to be and, and how the Lord even used that to complete the restoration or continue the restoration that from the trauma that you had experienced. Okay. Well, yeah, I remember, um, you know, I had kind of given up on the idea of being married. And I said, okay, you know what, whatever, I'm not getting married. And at the time, I was a worship leader and he came to the church and, um, and I saw him and I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> but, um, and he, he started playing bass for, he asked my pastor at the time, um, if he could play the bass and, and he started playing the bass. And I just remember just how nice, he, just how nice he was and his heart for God at the time. And at the time I was actually, I would say talking to someone else. And so me and him were just friends, but the conversation that we had was different than the conversation I've had with any other guy I've been in relationship with. He wanted us as friends just to grow closer to Christ. He had never even told me, I didn't even know he was interested, honestly, but he would just, we would just talk about Christ. And I remember driving one day and I was looking at a message and um, about, um, I can't remember particularly what it was about, but I just remember asking God, saying, God, I think I'm ready to be married again. And I said, in this time, I believe I understand and know what it, you know, what it is to be in covenant. He's not my savior. He's my husband. And I remember praying and saying, I'm ready. And a month later, we were at a concert and we were sitting down. Um, we went to dinner or went to eat afterwards and him and I were sitting next to each other and we were talking to somebody and we were just counsel. It's like we were counseling her. And in that moment I knew, and I looked at him and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, I knew as, you know, I didn't say anything. I said, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and about, um, but we would just talk, you know, on the phone for hours and just, just talk and and good conversation. I would whenever I he would send me scripture in the morning, text me. And anybody that knows my husband knows he is not a texter, but he would send me text in the morning. And then about a month later, um, he finally admitted that he you know was interested, and I and I was like, okay, thank you. And um, we started dating, and it was just different. Like yeah. I said, it it wasn't like it was. He. <sighs> He, he was more vested in who we are in Christ versus anything else. And he was committed to us growing together in Christ. And so it, he was my safe place. God made him that place where I, I can tell him anything. I could tell him that I wasn't comfortable with something or tell him that this happened. And he was, he, he had, the, he has the grace for me. That's all I can say. He's graced for me. He's able to um, talk me down. And when I ever I have a flashback or if anything happens, sometimes he'll look at me. He's like, Tanisha, where are you? <laughs> like, so he's God is you. He's used my husband really to even push further who I am in Christ and show me who I am in Christ and to know that that's that's who you were, but that's not who you are. So it was kind of a continuation for me of the extension of love he showed from Germany. He now shows through my husband. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tanisha, what can you say, looking back at your life, mm-hmm. what, what can you say Jesus has done in your life in a nutshell? He loved me. He was my constant. He, he's never left me. Oh. And he should have so many times. But he was always pursuing me, um, always making sure I knew that he loves me. He did it through people. He, he's done it. I've seen things that has ha- have happened has happened in my life that shouldn't have happened. I, I shouldn't be where I am. He's been a provider. He's protected me. He's opened doors. He's closed doors. He's he's been a good father. He's just he's loved me. I, yeah, he just loves me. I don't know if that. It's good enough, but that that's what I... That's good. That's good, yeah. For anybody who's uh, watching you right now, watching your testimony, um, and, you know, I, I would like it if you specifically spoke to women who have gone through abortions um, or who are thinking of maybe going through an abortion as they're watching this. What can you say to that person? I would say that regardless of the act or how it happened, God is the one that brings forth life. He's the one that allows life. And so if he's allowed that to happen, then there's a purpose for that child. There's a reason that that child is there. And to know that it'll be okay he will get you through it if you trust him. If you trust and believe in him, he will get you through it. It may be challenging. It may be hard. But if you really just go through the process and really just allow him to walk you through those steps, and even when you make mistakes, know that it's okay, that he still loves me and I can get myself back up and do what needs to be done, you will be okay. That child has a purpose. God wants that child to be here. So it's okay. And even for those that have gone through with the actual procedure, know that it happened. You can recover from this. God still loves you. And that mistake that you made, that thing that you did, does not disqualify you from your purpose and your destiny or disqualify you from the thing that God is calling you to. So just continue to move forward and know that he still loves you and he still has a purpose and a plan for you. Any last words to the people watching your testimony right now? Just trust God. Don't try to do it your own way. He knows what's best. I think I spent a lot of years... (laughs) Um, in turmoil because I was fighting against really what he wanted to do. And know that no mistake, yeah, you made a mistake, but it does not disqualify you from God's love for you. And that's it, I think.